Welcome to the Radio Bible Course and our study of Hebrews chapter 6. Today we begin with verse 7, but it hardly has meaning unless we reread the first six verses. So I'm reading from verse 1. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God with instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account, and hold him up to contempt. And now verse 7, For the land which has drunk the rain, that often falls upon it, and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. Though we speak thus, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love which you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, in our previous lesson, we discussed the interpretation of the first six verses, and I took the position that the first verses here deal with Jewish Christians who, although falling back to Judaism and perhaps being persuaded to again offer sacrifices for sins, have nevertheless not forsaken Christ or rejected Christ. It is possible to fall as a Christian, but it is not possible for a believer to fall away from Christ. I believe our translations are misleading here, and that's one of our problems. Keep in mind that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 28, that he gives eternal life to his sheep, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And, of course, eternal life means eternal. He also, in John 5.24, promised eternal life to those who do what? To those who hear and believe the one who sent him. And he promised that they shall not come into judgment, but have passed from death into life. The believer, therefore, need not live in fear of God failing to keep what he has promised by grace through faith. Salvation, fortunately, does not depend upon your promise. None was ever asked, nor does it depend upon your holiness or hanging on, as people say. For we all sin, we fail, and we waver in time of trial. For that reason... 
We have cast our complete hope on the Savior. We have committed the keeping of our souls to his all-sufficient care. Justification in the Bible is true faith. Although not many people understand how this can be, and I'm reminded of how some years ago I spoke at a breakfast meeting on the importance of faith, and this was a Baptist group. After the meeting, one of the men told me of a survey taken by an experienced Sunday school teacher in his church. She discovered, he reported, that 85% of the class said going to heaven depended on how they lived. Now, that is incredible. For a Baptist class, that's astounding. And the teacher was shocked, of course. Now, what might we expect from church organizations which do not have as much emphasis on the Bible as the Baptist church does? Well, we can't expect very much. Why is it that we can't make God's word clear on this subject of salvation? The Bible repeatedly states that salvation awaits those who believe, apart from works of any kind. We read in Hebrews chapter 3 that the children of Israel failed to enter the promised land for one reason. They did not believe. And Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 make an application that that is how people get eternal life, by believing. The people described in chapter 6 did indeed fall. But they had tasted the word of God the text tells us, and they were partakers of the Holy Spirit. That sounds very much like they were born again by the Spirit. Now, people have said, oh, it just says they tasted the Word of God. They really didn't eat it. It's one thing to put your tongue to something, and it's another thing to take food into your mouth and swallow it, they say. Well, is that what the word taste means? In chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 9, listen to this passage. The same word is used. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for every one. Did Jesus just sample death, or did he fully partake of it? You see, the way we interpret taste in one verse is the way we need to interpret taste in the other verse. And Jesus did fully partake. So I would take it in Hebrews chapter 6 then, verse 4, that those who have tasted of the heavenly gift really received the heavenly gift just like Jesus received death. Now, whenever we talk about someone falling, we need to understand that they fall from something and they fall to something. What is the falling from? In Galatians chapter 5, it tells us that the Galatians fell. They fell from grace. And to what did they fall? To law-keeping in order to be righteous. Now, how about these people? They fell too. They fell from the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ to the insufficiency of the law and rituals of the Old Testament. These people in Hebrews 
chapter 6 fell back to partial dependence on Judaism's sacrifice in addition to believing in Jesus. False teaching did that to them. It's deceiving. False teaching confuses many people today as it did in the first century. Now, their salvation rested on God's promise, not their behavior, and we are grateful for that fact because it is incredible what false teachers can do to babes in Christ. Many are the voices which tell us that we are not complete in Christ by faith alone. And those voices insist that various experiences and rituals are required to ensure eternal salvation. Now, many people who heard the gospel and rejoiced in it and believed in Jesus Christ have fallen to that kind of persuasion. Let me reassure you who believe in Christ by the authority of the New Testament that God has promised you eternal life, and you know that. And he has promised it to you if you believe and do nothing more than believe. You have also been promised upon faith in Christ that you would be given the Spirit and the Spirit would baptize you into the church of Jesus Christ. That's found in 1 Corinthians 12:13. Furthermore, you are therefore complete in Christ and have been made fit for heaven by receiving the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. What else do you need? Nothing for entrance into heaven. Now, if we can be, be deceived today, why not those people who had deep attachments to Judaism in the first century? They were taught the sacred rituals from childhood, and they trusted in those priests and those sacrifices. After all, that came from the law of Moses, and God gave Moses that law. Those Hebrews had believed the gospel, they had tasted of the word of God, they had been blessed by the Holy Spirit, but of course, they could fall back to dependence on rituals, and I believe they did. Now, in verses 7 and 8, the writer discusses what every Jew back in Israel would be familiar with because it's a rural setting, an agricultural context. He writes, For land which has drunk the rain that often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. What's the purpose of cultivating land? Productivity is what we want. That's the goal. It brings forth what is intended, and God's blessing is upon it. Now, that's what we should expect when we plant and if the rains come. So the writer here seems to be making an analogy between the cultivated land and the Christian. The Christian has the word of God within him, and it's expected that he will bear forth good fruit. We are helped to gain an understanding of what is intended here by Paul's teaching, because he wrote about planting and watering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal, and each shall receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So believers are treated as a field that should bear good fruit, or as a building that brings glory to God. Now in verse 8 of Hebrews 6, the author draws a contrast. He said, but if that land bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. Its end is to be burned. Well, what do you do with a field that is full of thistles and thorns? You don't simply plow it. You certainly won't plant it. You'll first burn it to get rid of that which is undesirable. It is after that that the land is cultivated. But lest some of these Hebrews think that they are in jeopardy, the writer writes this in verse 9, Though we speak thus, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. In other words, he's telling them that they as believers and cultivated believers should not be bearing thorns and thistles, but he expects that they will produce good crops. What does it take to get to heaven? People have different ideas, but the Bible teaches only one thing, and it's all written in our free booklet, Heaven's Password. Write for your copy today to the Radio Bible Course. Ask for Heaven's Password. It's free. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.